0: to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. And this is going to be the perfect podcast episode. So far, the only problem is that I did this thing that I've noticed, that sometimes I start off by tilting my head downwards, thus collapsing my trachea. Thus, when I say my name, it like comes out weird. It comes out a little bit like this. And aside from collapsing my trachea in the first three seconds, This is perfect. This is the perfect podcast moment right now. Okay, the chair is creaking. A non-cheeky... Cheeky... Non-cheeky chair. Oh, God. This is not the perfect podcast. Fuck. Shut up. Shut up. We're going to do it. It's going to be perfect. This is going to be the perfect podcast episode. Who cares that I collapsed my trachea and that the chair is creaking? And also... I forgot to grab a lens wipe, and my glasses are covered in pizza. Okay, 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 okay. okay. We got this, we got this, we got this. We can do this, we can do this. Okay, I got a lens wipe. I'm incredibly anxious for no reason, but we got this, and this is going to be the perfect episode. I had some amount of sleep. Is it enough? No. I had no food. I had no sleep, but this is going to be perfect. Oh, how is there pizza on my glasses and no pizza in my belly? That's the big, that's what I'm wondering. This is the last episode that I will be recording in this studio because I got to move everything down into the garage because things are changing. And I don't like change, but we have to just live life on life's terms. We have to just go with it. We have to just go with it. Change is not all bad, and we have to just go with the change. Okay. I'm now going to read a quote from the AA literature. This is from, I believe this is from, interesting that I didn't actually look up where this is from. But from memory, I'm pretty sure that this quote is from the 12, what we call the 12 and 12, which is 12 steps and 12 traditions. I think this is from step five or something something like that. Step five, plus and minus one step. (laughs) So funny. There's not an atheist in the world that talks about God more than me. I talk about God. Dude, I rely on God more than any atheist ever. So, this is a quote. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. The key thing here is we had tried to bombard our problems with willpower. That's... I remember when I read that, that really clicked for me because it's really – I realized that that's really what I'm doing oftentimes. I have like something and I try to – and I choose to conceptualize it as a problem and I choose to bombard it with willpower. But really, we can also choose to just fucking chill the fuck out and just go with it and instead of – and just conceptualize it as a river, because like there's God's intentions for us, but really I don't really I think it's more like the universe is just flowing. Time is a, this river and it's flowing in a direction. And attempting to swim upriver never works. What we can do is we can look down river. And see where things are going and we can try to swim a little bit sideways to not hit the rocks. But if we're looking upriver and trying to swim upriver, really we're just trying to like live our whole life going back in time and stuff, it doesn't work very well. So I'm losing this podcast studio and I'm just going to look downriver and be like, okay, so I'm going to put it in this new place and I'm going to put it together in this big, big nice way and it's going to look fucking crazy and it's going to be awesome. Instead of trying to look upriver and look backwards and be like, fuck, I put so much fucking effort into hanging this one thing here on the wall and just, like, see myself as this victim because I hung this thing on the wall here and now I'm a victim. It's like, bro, I hung something on the wall. Maybe, like, relax, dude. (sighs) But change is terrifying. Bro, there's so many terrifying things happening in the world. Now, when I say it like that, it's like, it's as if I'm going to talk about how there's a war in Ukraine. But really, I'm going to talk about how... Yesterday at work, it got extremely busy. And I got a little bit stressed out. But really, I was focusing on negativity in my heart. And... I was working with Caitlin, and Caitlin and me are so fucking similar. That is my fucking main takeaway, bro. Caitlin and me are so fucking similar. And then she was saying things. She was sort of complaining about a thing. And I was hearing myself in her complaints. And she complained about it, and then I snapped at her. And I felt so fucking bad. And it made me so... It was such an unnecessary snap. And it was so like... It's tricky, man. We've talked about this on the pod before, how sometimes we have to stand up for ourselves and we have to speak up and we have to not get be pushovers. Because if we're pushovers, we feel bad afterwards and we think back on it and we're like, fuck, I didn't stand up for myself. And I was just like... And I... That people, that person just rolled all the way over me and I didn't say anything. And then I felt bad. But then other times we overdo it and then we feel bad that we said something. Sometimes we feel bad that we didn't say something and sometimes we feel bad that we said something. And that's all of life right there, you know? And in the moment you're like, Which moment is this? Is this a moment where I'm going to feel bad afterwards if I don't say something? Or is this a moment where I'm going to not, I'm going to feel bad afterwards because I did say something? And here's the thing, bro. When I say that, I realize that it's perfectly plausible that some moments you can't win. That some moments there are two paths, you say something or you don't say something, and whichever path you stand up for yourself or you don't stand up for yourself, and whichever path you feel you choose, you're going to feel bad. And then maybe some moments you feel like there's a fork in the road and you have to choose to 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 aggressively speak up for yourself or not, and whichever path you f- choose you're going to feel fine about your choice. I think both of those situations exist. And in the moment, it's so goddamn hard to know which one of the four situations you're in. Because you don't know in the moment which one you're in. And I guess I thought that I was in one where I had to stand up for myself, but I wasn't in one of those. I wasn't in one of those. I was in one where I would have felt better not saying anything. But instead, I complained like a little baby, and I felt so bad stupid afterwards immediately. I just like got all heated and complained like a baby because I was trying to remember 20 things at the same time. So my thinking mind was all preoccupied and all that was left was a little bit of baby reptilian brain. And my baby reptilian brain power got poked with a stick a little bit and it just snapped and got really whiny, and I was like, me, 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 it's not my fault, you're complaining, me, 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 and then I immediately afterwards, I was like, ugh, then immediately afterwards, I was all tense, and then as soon as we passed each other, I was like, ugh, and then I was like trying to apologize to her, and then I realized that I was feeling too stressed and shitty to even apologize, which is like, doubly bad. And then she started talking to me. And that made gave me an opportunity to be like, okay, but you know, also, by the way, I would like to apologize for snapping at you before I was feeling like you were blaming me. And I was feeling really like vulnerable. And I was feeling really cornered. And I was so stressed about other stuff. And my apology was half true. And then she was like, she exercised proper, radical, introspective, understanding and was like, yes, I was repeating myself and I was complaining and I shouldn't have done that. And that was a, that was a better description of what she did wrong than what I could even come up with. Cause I'm just focused on me, you know, and she's focused on her and I have no idea what's wrong with her and she has no idea what's wrong with me, but we know what's wrong with ourselves. <laughs> and we're these two imperfect people just bumbling our way through the universe and yeah, she was like, I hate being annoying, and I was being annoying. That's what she said. And it's like, I think that pretty much sums up that part of it, huh? I hate being annoying, and I was being annoying. <laughs> Here's the next thing that we're going to talk about now. Um, you know, when I feel really, really poor... When I toast bread, first of all, I talk about toasting bread all the time, I realize, because I think perfectly square, boring, white pieces of basic, bad for you toast that you maybe have in the freezer and you take it out of the freezer and you take it directly from a state of frozen and you put it in the toaster and you toast it, That's that was an incredibly large part of my nutritional intake as a child. That ain't a good thing. That ain't a good thing. I think 40% of the food I had was just white squares of bread toasted with just butter on them, sometimes cheese, sometimes plain, plain huda, plain huda cheese, sliced with a Swedish cheese slicer. In Sweden, we don't have pre-sliced cheese in the in the store instead you everyone's got a cheese slicer at home take your phone out and google it swedish cheese slicer um you know when i feel really poor when i toast a piece of white bread and then it gets over toasted (laughs) and it gets like there's black black sides and black corners and half of it is black and it's like gonna taste bad and it's like more than it tasting bad what really weighs on my heart is like the. Oh, I can see the reflection of, that's perfect. I can tell that it's, without getting up, I can tell that we're actually filming this. Um, didn't do my hair today. No product in my hair. Shampooed, conditioned. You know when I feel really poor? When I have a square of toast and I toast it and I overtoast it and half of it is black. And so I take out a knife and I step over to the sink and I start scraping off the black part. And it's not—it's about the taste, because you eating black toast is awful. But mostly, it's about how I know that that's like—that's just a fucking school-to-prison pipeline for cancer. That's the old toast-to-cancer pipeline. A black piece of toast is the stomach-to-cancer pipeline that will get you cancer immediately. Nothing is more like carcinogen per fucking cubic centimeter than just black toast. It's a straight cancer. So, standing there over the sink and scraping off the black part, oh my God, it's such a strong negative feeling of feeling like a poor person. It's like the most visceral poor person feel, because I really associate it with my childhood of, I don't know, it's not that we were poor, it's just like I was sensitive to feeling poor. And now... Do I feel poor now? Do you know what I feel as an adult? I feel like there's really, really two very separate layers to it. It's like on, one, on the one hand, there's like net worth. And that's half of your feeling of do you feel poor or not? What's my actual, like, what's my debit account say? What does my crypto wallet say? What does my Fidelity investment account say? What does my betterment 401k say? What is my um, car loan to Toyota financial services? Say, what is my um, CSN? Centraal Studiostads is that what it's called? My student debt back in Sweden and my folksam fucking fund that my grandparents set up for me. All of those things put together. What's the net worth if you look at all these like you know, assets and liabilities. But then there's this other layer to it, which is like what we, the other half of do I feel poor or not? It's like surface. Like, do I, do people, do people think I'm poor? That's half of it, bro. And if you can post something on Instagram that makes it feel like, that gives you a feeling like people looking at that picture and looking at their comments and get looking at the 13 likes that makes it feel in your heart like on the surface people don't think i'm poor then um then you don't feel poor that's how it is now that's not what it was like as a kid as an adult feeling poor it's two things it's my net worth worth and it's my it's the surface level of thing of how how what is my persona out there you know do people believe me when I say I'm Do people believe I'm poor? Cuz that's half of the problem. But then when I stand over the sink and I scrape off the black stuff off of a piece of po- toast, piece of toast. God, dude, I cannot talk today. I need a I need a sparkling water. Um When I scrape off the black stuff on the toast, it it's that's like a wormhole that transports me back to childhood when poverty was just one thing, when you're just this like squirrely little animal who just has one layer. There's just one layer to your experience. There's no like, you don't even have a net worth. You have like a fucking physical wallet and like a debit card and that's it. That's your whole financial landscape. There's no foreground, there's no background. This is one thing. And then, and then there is a, I guess your family is your experience of poverty or not poverty. And it's like, as a child, as a child, you like people know your parents. They know if you're poor or not, but then you go to school and you have, you develop a sort of image at school with a larger image that everyone knows of, of how you present yourself and how you conduct yourself at school and Some people see that image and they don't know your parents and it's your first opportunity to disconnect from your parents and do your own thing. And I remember being concerned about that as a young person. And I remember feeling very happy when people would comment on how, I think my first girlfriend, I think my first two girlfriends, both of them, they'd like um, knew me as who I was at school and then we'd like hang out and I'd bring them to my house and they'd get to be my girlfriend and we'd do this thing and stuff. And then they would comment. I think both of my first girlfriends commented on how they were like surprised to realize that my pr- parents weren't like upper middle class. Because I did this like sh- <laughs> shitty, shitty dis- disingenuous thing where I like was obsessed with image from a very young age. Where I like would somehow... I don't know how, I would pretend to be fancier than I was. I think it was more about how I was like pretentious and would like talk about books and just be really judgy. And then people would hear that and assume that, oh, his parents must must be rich. And then you, you invent that image and then you get a girlfriend and then your girlfriend shows up at your house and your dad is like, Just some welfare queen who hasn't left a house in forever. And they're like, oh, your parents aren't rich. And you're like, psych, my parents aren't rich, bitch. Got you. Too late now. Now we've already made out. And on some level, maybe that's still what I'm doing, you know? This podcast is all about me convincing you that I have 80 grand in my bank account, but I don't. I don't. I have about $1,500 in my checking account. But my crypto portfolio went from 10 grand to 17 grand in the last fucking week. It just exploded. And then at one point, I, I was in the office with Doug, we were talking about something, I was gonna, sh- we were talking about some relationship between two s- staff members, and I was taking my phone out to to talk about some texts that I would gotten that were relevant to the conversation, because we were trying to create harmony in the workplace, and I take my phone out, and the screen that it's on is like, <laughs> fuck, this is so fucking lame. And I'm going to talk about it because it's lame. The screen that it was on was like my crypto portfolio. And it said it, it was the day when it like there was, it, there's been several very good days on crypto in the last 30 days. But one of them was very good. And it's like the portfolio's value just increased by like two grand in one day. And that was what the screen it was on when I unlocked my phone. And Doug like looked at my phone and I like told them, I was like, look at this, dude. This fucking went from there to there. It's like, it's, I just made two grand in one day. And then I zoomed in on it and realized that it's actually like, it was an explosion that happened in one hour. It was actually like, in one hour, it just went up by 20%. And And as soon as I said that to him, I felt so bad. As soon as I said that, I felt so bad because it's like, that's fake, bro. That's not real. Who knows how much money I put into it? Who knows what it's done in the past? And just because it went up 20% in 24 hours doesn't mean I'm cashing out right now and that I'm realizing those profits and that I actually made that money. It's just like a number on this thing. And it's so fake and it's so superficial and it's so braggy. And also, boys should never talk about crypto. Can I just say that? Boys should never talk about crypto. I hate boys who talk about crypto. Like, there are two things boys should never talk about Joe Rogan and crypto. Ugh, gross. Like, there's this one time, this one time at work, I was just walking behind the bar delivering food for the bartender because he was busy and he was helping me out and I'm behind the bar a whole lot and uh, <clears throat> and um, there's this guy sitting at the bar talking at the bartender and he's talking about how much money he made in cryptos and there's a woman seated on either side of him and he's talking about how much money he made in cryptos and The women don't talk. And then the woman chimes in a little bit about how she did put a grand, a thousand bucks in crypto or something at some point and made 500 bucks. And he's like, "All needs to make it a point to explain that that's not a lot to him. And the whole thing was so gendered and so superficial and so disgusting. And so like, oh. And he made statements like, Anyone who has money in crypto now will be okay in the future. And you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of in poker how... Poker has this... There's this um, element of... um, There's an element of skill and there's an element of luck. And there's a lot of skill to it. But in the short term, there's... In the long term, there's a lot of skill. But in the short term, there's a lot of luck. So anyone can accidentally win three hands in a row and end up with 90% of the money and be doing real well. And at a poker table, like when you got six dudes at a poker table, if one guy gets lucky and wins three hands in a row and ends up with 90% of the money for a moment, there's this emotional thing that happens where he's suddenly very jovial And he's feeling very happy about everything and everyone else is really subdued. And there's like this weird emotional moment to it where everyone takes on these roles where like there's the happy guy and there's the three unhappy guys. And the happy guy is suddenly full of advice about big questions. Suddenly the happy guy feels entitled to... Suddenly the happy guy feels like he can now be teaching people about everything he suddenly has the answers to everything. And it's such a transparent, annoying thing. When you can take a step back and realize that like, (sighs) this guy just got lucky in five minutes and there's like no skill to it. And just this like random thing happened. And because this random thing happened related to something over here, he suddenly feels entitled to be able to talk about problems over here and over here and over here as if he has solutions to everything just because he randomly, in this very arbitrary way, was good at a thing here. And it's like, that's how I feel about crypto. It's just like someone just got lucky on this one, on like three hands in a row for a sec. So now they got 60 grand and now they feel like they can give you like now they feel entitled to speak to to come up with some big analysis of society writ large and it's like bro just relax bro it's okay you're being insufferable you're being insufferable uh and then when I said that thing to Doug, it's like the first thing he said was like, "God damn it, fuck, fuck, fuck. Bring me along. I want to know. I feel like I'm missing something." That's what he said. And it's like I understand that you feel like that because I'm presenting this fake image as if there's $2000 to be made every day. Whereas in reality it's a much more muddled multifactorial roller coaster thing where Some people made a lot of money, but mostly it's 100% a pyramid scheme where it's about how if you can convince more people to, it's like the chain letters that my mom became part of in the 90s. My mom in the 90s was part of the actual, I don't know if, I don't want to say original because pyramid schemes have, have a long and rich history. But in the 90s, my mom was part of this thing where like there was an invitation letter you read the invitation letter. It's literally called like chain letters or something. And you, you get, you recruit eight people to send you an amount of money. And then you forward some of that money up the chain. And then everyone who receives money forwards some of it up the chain. And as long as you can get six or seven people to join after you, You're still in a good part of the chain and you're still going to just have letters of money coming in. And as as long as we don't run out of new people, you're making money. But it's a pyramid scheme though. And also it's a pyramid scheme. And also, God, I want to ask my mom about that actually. I think I'm going to ask my mom about that because it's like, did she make money? Did she break even? So many questions. Because like you can join it and then, hey, what if you just stop forwarding the money? There must be some fail-safe there. There must be some fail-safe where people find out if you people above you in the chain must be finding out in some way if you are not forwarding the money. Also, so labor intensive about like literal physical envelopes and putting cash in literal physical envelopes and mailing it out. It's like, wow, people used to go to the post office, huh? Buying stamps and stuff and envelopes and putting cash paper money in envelopes and going to the post office to send that out. (sighs) Wow. That was like one thing. If you get a Nice pyramid scheme going now when you can just Venmo people and it's you could make it a one click thing, just click to join and you just give them oh shit, you just give them rights to your bank account and it just pulls and put, puts in and takes up money of your bank account as you're part of the fucking pyramid scheme. But but well, back when it was a physical thing in the 90s, I just insane that my mom did that, it's insane. But yeah, it goes hand in hand with just feeding your your son square white pieces of toast. But it's also like my mom was a great mom and maybe that's the only thing I would eat. Maybe I refuse to eat anything else. Were we poor? That's the name of this episode. Were we poor? I don't know. I think probably 50% of people grow up Subconsciously, not being sure really if they're poor or not, and the question is not forced upon you. Now, I mean, Sweden in Sweden, the question wasn't forced upon you so much. Maybe in America, a lot of bullying is centered around like your parents are poor and the question is forced upon you. But I remember the question being kind of subconscious. Yeah, me and Doug were in the office and we we're trying to do some people managing, and that's really now. having gotten this world's smallest promotion and having a tiny bit of power, it is a fascinating part of it. Just trying to, the act of herding cats and the act of getting people and just seeing if there's little things he can say to people that will modulate their behavior so that they will be better widgets, better sort of like components of this larger machine to just get the Harmony of the larger machine going to get more money squirting out at the other end, you know? Because it's all very callous and it's all just about like getting money to squirt out. It's a money-making fucking Rube Goldberg machine with all these little human widgets and physical objects and everything fits together and money squirts out here and something goes in here and it's like complicated. But and then some people, some things don't really fit together. So you have to like go up and talk to them and be like, what can we do here? Like, how can we, how can we get a little bit more work out of you? It's all Taylorism, you know? Everything is a conveyor belt. Everything is slavery, isn't it? Um, but then you get to stuff that's like human relationship stuff, and you have two little widgets and they don't get along and they're humans. And it's like, God damn it, I can't believe we still have to deal with humans. And they keep asking me, like, so where do I eat food? And I'm like, bro, just be a robot and don't eat food. I don't have a space for you to eat food. We're using all these spaces to make money. And you eating food does not make me any money. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's the real answer. It's so tough. Instead, I have to be like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Oh, God. Bro, it's called capitalism, okay? Just relax. Um, (laughs) Fuck. Um, What was I saying? It's interesting when it's two people and they don't totally get along. And you have to go up and talk to them and have like a one-on-one conversation with them. And it's fascinating how on some level, everything is the same level. Like Donald Trump going to the G8 and talking to Macron and talking to Putin it's the same thing. Everything is just that each human is a, pe- is a puzzle piece and we're all just trying to shave off sides of the other puzzle pieces to make all the puzzle pieces fit together. While they also try to shave off sides of us because we are also puzzle pieces and everything is the same, you know, everything is just this human circus of puzzle pieces. But then sometimes you get to this like really clear, the question is really clear. Like there's two employees and they don't get along and they don't work together well. And you have to talk to them individually and figure out what shape is this puzzle piece and what shape is this puzzle piece. And man, I can see how these two puzzle pieces don't fit together. And then you're like, okay, so maybe I have to conceptualize a third puzzle piece that would go in between them so that these two puzzle pieces lock into this third puzzle piece so that there's always a piece between them so that the good work will, so that we can all be doing the Lord's work, you know? Because Jesus loves capitalism, you know? God loves money. And, um, and then a lot of times I just end up being like, nah, I can't do anything about this. I can't change either of these people. And um, if I try to wade into this, if I try to get myself involved, there's a good chance I'll make it worse. And that's an instinct that I think has wisdom to it. (laughs) The humility there of like, no, I don't, there's no way for me to help here. That's probably true. Yeah, I don't know. I've been trying to come up with puzzle pieces recently. God damn, it's abstract. But I'm good at conceptualizing puzzle pieces, but I'm realizing that I'm really bad at like executing on them. And that's what me and Doug talked about two weeks ago. One funny thing happened. Oh, shit, I need to do a water. I'm 35 minutes into this. So let's do a water. Today we're doing berries. So this is Blackberry, the... The brand is called Rebel, but it's 2022. So if you got a brand name, you gotta you gotta spell it wrong. I wonder if all these misspelled brand names will. Nah, that's probably not true. I was gonna say like, I wonder if they will fuck up how we actually think of spelling and stuff, and our our brains are gonna break because of all the companies that wanna spell everything wrong. Last week I did Wild Wonder. One word, all lowercase. Will that make us not know how to capitalize? Just because Wild Wonder is doing one word, all lowercase. But I don't think so. And I think language is always evolving. And language has always had people that just do it wrong on purpose. And that's always been a two-way street. And it's so easy to think like, oh, we're so bad at language now because we're texting too much. But it's like, nah, bro, we were always bad at language. And it was always a living organic thing and stop being so dramatic and stop thinking that this era is unique. This era, I think 99% of the time when someone has the the thought and the instinct that, oh, this era is so unique, 99% of the time that's wrong. Jesus is not coming back right now. You know, we're not on the brink of civil war. (sighs) this era is probably not unique. Blackberry from a company called Rebel. And because we're humans, there's nothing unique about this era. God damn it. There's so much. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm realizing what's going on here. So the word Rebel is spelled R-E-B-B-L. Now this is not even, what's the other one? Oh, what's the name of the other sparkling water company that drops the E? It's Everything is like a mixer. Oh, I, can't, I have to get up and check. I can't actually go on without knowing the answer to this. Oh, that makes me so mad. I hate it when I can't remember things, and I hate it when the answer isn't easily available to me. I had to Google it. Um, there's a sparkling water brand called Bubbler, and they dropped the E. And replace it with an apostrophe. And every flavor also has a flavor name where they have also dropped an e. Passion fruit mixer, and then they drop the e. Bubbler mixer, all the e's are dropped. Whatever nectar, they drop the e. Anyway, here we've also dropped the e. Rebel, R E B B L. But also, here's the kicker. This is what's called a backronym. A backronym is when you start with the word and work your way back so that the word is an acronym that so that everything is nested inside of itself so rebel here is actually a acronym for roots extracts berries botanicals love and and if you Take the first letter of all those words, roots, extracts, berries, botanicals, love. It spells the word rebel, all misspelled. So great job, guys. You get like a six out of 10 in terms of how good are you at naming your company? Because that's just too complicated. That's the thing about marketing. When you are in fifth grade and you start to think about marketing and you're like, what if there was a company called, you always end up with something too complicated. And then you design a logo and it's all too complicated because in the end, a good brand is just a word like Nike. It's not an acronym. It's not nothing. And a logo like Nike, it's not, there's no meaning. It's just a simple shape. We're doing a simple word. We're doing a simple shape. That's the best. And then everything that's like, oh, but the logo is like, if you zoom in and nope. Oh, but if you like, nope, but if you go back to like the founder and the first word and the letter and you turn this upside down and you look at and you think about this word and this word has three meanings. No rebel. You get a six out of 10 because ah smells like blackberry though. Let's try it. Blackberry prebiotics. I almost said probiotics. Oh God. There's so much words. So many words on this side. Deliciously supercharged plants to power the people. Every can of organic rebel, misspelled, rebel pop, (laughs) superscript TM, trademark, is packed with deliciously refreshing nutrient-dense plant-powered ingredients that support immunity and digestive health. Look, in a way, I feel a lot of sympathy for this stuff because I also overthink things and also overwrite things because that sentence has... Too many hyphens. Nutrient dense is hyphenated. Plant powered is hyphenated. It's just you can't do it like that. We ethically source our ingredients, supporting the communica- communities that grow them and use sustainable packaging. Good for you, great for others, better for the world. Rebel with a cause. To date, Rebel has donated over $1 million to our nonprofit partner. Not for sale to end the exploitation of at-risk people on the planet. Okay, fine. Fine, I'll stop being negative. It's like you guys are trying to be good people and I'm trying to be a liberal and that sounds good. Sparkling prebiotic tonic. Smells like blackberries. Ooh. Oh, fuck, that's nice, actually. Okay, you're making it easier for me here. You're making it easier. It has like a vanilla thing. Oh, coconut nectar, blackberry extract. Yeah, organic vanilla extract, pomegranate juice. Yeah, stevia. Wonder, it, one of the, the first ingredients is sparkling water. The second ingredient is organic acacia. Like, what does that do? Is that a thickening agent? Yeah, dude, that's interesting. It has like a roundness, but blackberry with vanilla is, yeah, it's very much like a tonic in the sense that it's got a lot of shit going on. Perishable, keep refrigerated. Don't know if I did that. Probably fine. All right. And now I feel bad that I was so negative about their branding, so now I'm going to go... Go ahead and drop all of that and say that that's actually a delicious, be- delicious sparkling water beverage. And that's a nine out of 10. And there you go. So I had this thing happen where. <sighs> yeah. So I published this novel and I kind of didn't tell anyone and I didn't give anyone the link and it's like impossible for anyone to purchase because I'll tell you the name of the novel right now. It's called The Potato Eaters of Shanghai and it's available to purchase on Amazon. And here's the thing, because Amazon is not a government institution, because we're not ruled by communism because Amazon gets to do what they want. They actually have an algorithm in, in their search bar where a new product like my novel that no one has purchased, you can't actually find it by searching. If you go to Amazon and search for it, you won't get any hits. You'll get a bunch of other products. And my shit won't be there. It's interesting. So it's unpurchasable. It's unfindable. Only I have the link. So I published this novel and I'm thinking about like, how do I do it? And how do I like present it to people? And because I would like, I guess what I would like is, well, I would like everyone on earth to read it, obviously, but, but barring that, what I really want is just some people that I care about, whose opinion I respect, who I've connected with in the past, who maybe have influenced me in the writing process. I would like, I would like to present it to them in a way where they would consider, excuse me, I did a little prebiotic and I did a little postbiotic burp there. A little bionic burp. I would like some people to consider buying my book, and I thought about how do I present it to people. And I think maybe instead of posting on the internet, like, hey, posting for all to see that, hey, I have this novel here, I think it's probably better if I take the 20 people who I actually would like to purchase a a copy and I contact each one of them individually. And I just say like, I just dropped them three lines in an email. And if that's their first impression of it, and they, instead of it being like, they already saw on Instagram that I published a novel. And then if I instead send them a link, I think that'll be better. So I think that's what I'm doing. So I think I'm going to keep it a complete secret. Or like, I think I'm going to keep it, I mean, I'm saying it here on the podcast, so I'm clear. it's clearly not a secret. But I think I'm going to um, not share the link with anyone. And then what happened is, i was at work and i had these two guys and and we just did this somehow the banter was incredible where like i said these funny things and they would like talk to each other about me in front of me and be like comment on my stuff and then would. and we just got really really like weirdly quippy it was like gilmer girls but old dudes And they were super quippy and we were all quippy and we did these crazy references and everyone got everyone's references. And the banter was just like incredibly smooth and incredibly smart. And then they would ask me about stuff on the menu and I would have these like really, really precise, well-informed things to say. And they would be like, they would talk about how like incredibly, like how there was, how it was going very well. And they were like, yeah, you're very good at this. And then I was talking to that, And then, you know, they were very good at being what they were doing, you know. So it was just a very incredibly positive thing. And we had, there were some extremely successful jokes going each way. Everyone, all three of us, everyone got to contribute something and and say something that everyone else thought was fucking hilarious. So it's like a very successful interaction like that. And then the next day... They show up again, and then they're trying to order from the bar, and it's not going very well because the bartender's too busy, but I'm not busy, so so they're like, "Oh, this guy can take our order, so we're talking, and I take their order, and we do more shit and stuff and and then um they tell me that they're staying there, they tell me that they're visiting from Southern California, you know, I find out all this stuff, they tell me that they are. Here's the thing. They tell me that they're city planners, urban planners. And I think everyone in their heart of hearts has their own unique ranking of every single job in the world. And which ones they think are the coolest jobs and everything. And I think maybe a lot of people think that being a doctor, a medical doctor is the coolest job. I think a lot of people think that being president is the coolest job maybe some people think, you know, different things. And I think maybe it changes throughout your life, blah, blah, blah. I think maybe for a period, I thought president was coolest for a period. Maybe I thought uh, being an author was the coolest. Maybe when I was a teenager, I thought being an author was the coolest. And then I started doing that. And then I, I read this headline recently that immediately struck me as true, where it was like, someone's, it was just someone said something about like, the research suggests that we should learn how to quit and fail more and more often and just give up on shit more often. And I immediately felt like, oh yeah, I should have given up on being an author like 15 years ago, but I didn't. So I spent 15 years on writing a book and I wrote a book and then These were quipping and they're telling me they're city planners and I, in my personal ranking, I think, honestly, city planner is the job I think is the coolest job in the whole world. Le Corbusier is this French guy who was a city planner in this super conceptual way where he would write a book about how to plan a city and he would draw these like hand sketches about how to plan a city and I think that's the coolest shit. And that influenced my novel a lot. And it's, the novel is really about the city of Shanghai and really about the history of city planning in Shanghai. Like that just – it's so silly for me to say that. But, you know, I'm an idiot. So what What am I – what, you want an idiot to not be an idiot? Like what do you want from me, you know? Because every episode of the podcast, I'm like, so my novel is really about X and every episode X is different? <laughs> I'm so fucking stupid. Oh. <laughs> uh... But so what happened is that they were talking about books and they were talking about being city planners and they were talking about all this stuff and they were talking about how much they read and all this stuff. And so, and then one of them asks me, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? And that's a very pointed question that you can ask someone in a, who works in a restaurant and it's sensitive because if that person who works in a restaurant has nothing else going on, then you've just offended them. So it's a sensitive question that you only ask after you've broken through and gotten to a certain level of we're cool with each other and we can poke at each other a little bit and we can pretend offend each other a little bit and it can be all right. So he asks me this very pointed, somewhat offensive question that breaks through the veneer and makes me open up because it's fun to do that. I love to do that. I love to ask people questions that are like a little bit across the line, like to literally ask someone a pointed political question. Like I love asking Americans who they voted for in the last election because no one ever asks that because you're not allowed to ask that. In a professional setting, bro, I love to ask that because I'm a Swede. Like, what do I care? I don't vote in this country. I vote in Sweden, bro. And I vote for the Social Democrat and who cares? So I can just pull the foreigner card and just poke through a little bit and see what's going on on the inside. So he asks me this pointed question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's many parts to that question because I'm 35, like I'm clearly a grown ass man. so So it's a facetious question, but it's also a question where he's like, are you, partly he's asking me, are you just a loser who just works in a restaurant and you have nothing else going on? And so I get defensive because I am defensive about feeling like a loser just working in a restaurant, even though I'm 35 and people who do my job are like 19. So I tell him, I tell him what I haven't told anyone. Like, I literally, literally haven't told anyone in reality this. I think I've told Sam on WhatsApp, but Sam was in fucking Thailand. You know, like, I've told people that are make-believe people, but I haven't told anyone in real life about this, pretty much. And I haven't given anyone an opportunity to buy my book. But so, he asks me, what do you want to be when, I, when you grow up? And so I say, well, I did publish a novel this week. And that's such a fucking good answer <laughs> that they're both like, oh shit. <laughs> and they're like, okay, 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 we want to buy the novel. And here's the thing I published the novel. And the day it was published, I went on Amazon, I got an email that it was online. I clicked the link, I saw the book on Amazon, and I published, I bought, I purchased three copies for myself. Now, Amazon offers something called author copies, which is me, I'm allowed to buy the book for for like $450 or something. Even though the book, I set the price and I've set it at like $12.99 or something, but but I can buy the book for $450 or $4.99. I think it's $4.50. And so I bought three copies for myself at $4.50. Now, the shipping is not free, so it's more than four fifty in the end. But I bought three copies and I had three copies at the house. And so when I had these three copies in my hand, when I picked them up at the post office and brought them to my house, a part of me suggests, a part of my brain, my heart suggests, hey, maybe I should like keep these in my car and stuff. Maybe I should like keep them at work in case someone wants to buy my novel. And then another part of me immediately says, bro, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself that you're such a fucking narcissist that you would even suggest that to yourself, that someone would want to buy your stupid fucking novel because you're a piece of shit, bro. And no one wants to buy your piece of shit novel. So one part of me is like, hey, I should keep these on me at all times in case someone wants to buy it. And the other part is like, dude, you're a worm, bro. You're a fucking loser. <clears throat> and here's the thing, bro. In the exchange with the two men who are city planners, they're both city planners, and I respect them so much because they're city planners and it's the coolest job in the whole world. And I asked them, like, how do you become a city planner? Anyway, I'm jumping around too much. In the conversation, they asked me, one of the guys is like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the other guy is immediately like, whoa, 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 that's a little bit too pointed of a question. Okay, let's see if we can even handle this question. And then I say, well, I did publish a novel this week. And they're both like, oh fuck, he handled the question. It was fucking fine. That's a really fucking good response to that pointed question. Where it's a, it's a, it's a war, you know? Like a good, good Gilmore Girls banter is like a war, and it's great when, when, when you really parry and get. Get, you know, counterattack real good. When you, yeah, it's just a really good back and forth. And then they are like, oh shit, so we want to buy Can we buy a copy each right now? We love this. We love that you know every single thing about the food here and when all the serve, cause while I'm standing talking to them, these other people like come up to me and talk about the extended full wine list. And they're like, Oh, Joe, can we ask you some shit about the wine? Cause I have a guest here that's wondering about the wine and you know more than anything about the wine. So I'm like, I'm in this situation where I'm, people are really, my ego is being boosted and I'm being made to feel good about myself in a way that I don't know if I fucking deserve that, you know? But that's what's happening. What's happening is that people are allowing me to feel cool. And honestly, Kavika coming up to me and asking, like, which bread should I recommend to these people? Kavika doesn't do that to make me feel cool. He does that because he's actually wondering. And he has no idea. He wants an answer and he thinks I have the answer. So he asks me, and then I'm allowed to have this, like, pretentious conversation about the wine by the bottle and, and the two gentlemen chime in and they're like, oh, maybe recommend this and recommend this. And all three of us get to be like pretentious together (laughs) and it's like really successful. But so then we have, God damn it, I'm jumping around too much in this, but he says, what do you want to be when you grow up? The other guy says, oh, that's too pointed of a question. Maybe let's see if we can handle this. And then I say, well, I did publish a novel this week and then they both are like, oh, fuck, that's a fucking good response. We want to buy copies of the novel. And then I literally tell them what I just said here, which is, oh, I actually had that conversation with myself where I was like, I was thinking about keeping some copies on me in case someone wanted to buy them. But I felt like that was a weird self aggrandizing narcissist thing to assume that someone would want to buy my book. And then they're like, well, everything we do is super self aggrandizing. And so we have this like, <laughs> You know, it's just like, it's just good self-deprecating narcissist banter. The banter just keeps going and it's very good. But so I asked him like, how do you become city planners? And then one of them is like, yeah, well, I started out as like a microbiologist and and an ecologist and I wanted to like save the earth. And I felt like the best way to influence the world and save the earth is to like make sure that communities are planned in a sustainable way where like someone with my opinions are there influencing the process. And the other guy was like an economics guy. And he had this like very opposite. One was basically a a left-wing guy and one was a right-wing guy. And they both came into city planning from opposite ends. And now they're best friends and they're both retired and they go fishing together in grass Valley and get rooms at the Holbrook and hang out and do good banter with, (laughs) with, uh, their server. And they're just like, it was very much like a dream retirement life that I'm looking at here. Like if I could, like, I don't think I want anything more than to just be like those guys when I'm retired. Like, cause they were having so much fun at every moment. They were like fishing and doing all this healthy, fun shit. And they clearly have enough money. And they have good friends and they go on fun trips with their friends. Like everything about it is so something I envy. But so what happens is that I'm just fawning over the fact that they're city planners and I'm so impressed with them. And I'm just, I just think it's so cool. And I talk about my novel and like how the novel is about Le Corbusier and the city planning and stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool because they know about. Like Kubus, yeah, but so we just did, Good banter continues and and you know, I could talk about those two guys forever because I've never been so Envy isn't the right word, but just Because it wasn't a negative feeling, but just feeling like, wow, I want to be like those guys. And then I asked them. They were asking about like the publishing of the novel and stuff, and I was like, Yeah, so the publishing process I realized that there's like There's just like not – the publishing industry is really full of a lot of agents and agencies and publishing houses that none of them are making any money. None of them have any money. And these are just people who like to read books and talk about books. But it's like approaching it as in any sort of professional sense where you're hoping to like publish a novel with them and make money is silly because they're not making – no one there is making any money. We're just out here talking about books. And part of that is I realized that the only people, I have this working theory, I have this theory that might be true that I don't know if I believe in, that maybe mostly women read and maybe the people who make money are mostly women agencies and agents that push woman books to women. And those people maybe make money, but men men maybe don't read so much. And I've mentioned that on the pod before, but I think that might be true and I don't know. But so I actually ask that to these two dudes and I'm like, do you think that's true? And I think it, it's like a very nice space to ask that in because I really give them an opportunity to, 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 um, I'm not setting them up to answer in a specific way. Like sometimes you ask a question where it's only cool to answer one way. Only one answer is going to sound cool, so you push them to that answer. But then sometimes you get into this good space where you can ask someone a question, where you're really giving them an opportunity to to reach inside of themselves and reach for new information and to present new information. And that new information can be in conflict or in harmony with the things that have already been said. And here I felt like we were in a space where I, they could really disagree or not agree disagree or agree. And it was up to them. And I asked them and they disagreed. And they were like, no, we think everyone reads. And so, yeah, that's good. I think they have a lot of information and they say that men read too. And and they read a lot. And what they said was, "Mm, which is maybe sexist in its own right. Maybe I'm setting them up to be sexist, but they were like, yeah, women reading groups and men don't read in groups. That's what they said. And maybe that's true. Maybe reading isn't so gendered, but maybe how we read is slightly gendered and maybe it's all good, you know? I'm not married to any of those theories. So, what happened is that I didn't have a novel to sell them. And they were like, just come back tomorrow. Because I'd served them two nights in a row. So, they were like, okay, tomorrow night, we'll be back here. Tomorrow night, bring some novels. And what I didn't tell them in that moment is, I don't work tomorrow, bro. And I couldn't break their hearts and be like, I don't work tomorrow. You're not going to get a novel. So I was like, "Yep, that's what we'll do. We'll sell a novel. And it was just such a nice, big, open moment where these two guys are saying they want to buy my novel. And then some lady just sitting at the bar just chimes in and is like, I want to buy a copy too. If you had a bunch of copies, I'd buy a third copy. And I'd want it signed and it'd be fucking awesome. And you'd have three copies sold right now. And she was you know she had a bunch of fun things to say i kind of walked away and and they were more talking to her and i don't really know what she said but but what happened is the next day i went to work in the afternoon and i dropped off two copies and i just explained it i was like just here's two copies of this book i was their server yesterday and the night before just if you can just give them i just tell london like hey if you can just there's these two gentlemen that are probably gonna have dinner here tonight and they're staying with us and we got to talking tonight and I published a novel and I'm gonna give him a copy. And is like, you published a fucking novel, bro? Like, why don't you tell anyone that? Like, why is that a secret? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I probably have a personality disorder where I keep everything a secret. So, um, I never saw them again, but I dropped off two novels and then The next time I was at work, yeah, so I also, I signed them. It all feels so silly. Like, it all feels so, I feel like I am the butt of the joke, you know? Whatever I do, I just feel like the butt of the joke. I feel like I'm not in on the joke. My whole life is like a joke and I'm not in on it. So I take this novel that I've self-published on Amazon, that I've bought myself on Amazon, and I fucking sign it. I sign it, and I write in one of them. Because this is the disagreement we had. One of them is like, yeah, the best way to understand city planning is... I summarized the conversation we'd had when I signed the two copies. I gave them two copies. One of them I wrote in it. The best way to understand city planning is through a lens of ecology and the other one I signed it and said the best way to understand city planning is through a lens of economics those are the two opposing not both can be true at the same time statements that I wrote in the two books and I signed them and I gave them and I assume that each book will go to the right person because one of them is an ecologist one of them is, is an economist and they'll you know <laughs> that's the part of it that I enjoy the most where it's like they have to they have to read that and be like, okay, so this one is yours. That I live for that specific moment. The fact that that moment probably happened where they read both quotes and was like, okay, so this one is yours because you're an economist and this one is mine because I'm an ecologist. And the fact that they had that so that we had that little disembodied, I wasn't even in the room. Like last moment of banter where I wasn't even in there, where they were like, oh God, that's the moment that I enjoy. I enjoy that that's, but it's, I also, I also feel like I'm embarrassing myself saying that. But that's what it is, you know? Rebel Blackberry. This drink is delicious because stevia already tastes a little bit like vanilla. So when you mix in vanilla with stevia, it actually makes it feel like the stevia isn't so gross. Makes it feel like the stevia and the monk fruit is supposed to taste like that. Yeah, somehow this has... Why did they do this? Why does it have stevia and monk fruit? Like, both of these are sweeteners. Like, why do you do two sweeteners, two artificial sweeteners? I don't know, because maybe we do a little bit of each and it takes away from the grossness of each of them. So I imagine and I enjoy that there was a moment when they received the books and I wasn't there and they looked at them at some point and saw the signing, how I'd signed them and they figured out which one was going to which person and they thought it was cool. And in that moment they thought I was cool and that's all I want. I just want people to think I'm cool. I, I, I spent 15 years writing a novel and 15 years making it a good novel just so that someone would think I was cool. Just so that someone would not even read the whole thing, but so that someone would just crack it open somewhere in the middle and read one sentence in the middle and be like, Yep, that sounds like a sentence in a real novel, so this must be a real novel, so this guy must be a real guy, so this guy must be cool. That's all. That's all I want. I'm just obsessed with what people think about me. And I just want everyone to like me. And I just want people to think I'm cool. And that's the whole thing. And it reminds me of I, this week, I watched this uh, TED talk by, I don't know, Tim Urban, who the TED talk is about procrastination. And he talks about how in school I was procrastinated and wrote each paper in the last day. And then he did a PhD thesis or something. And And he wrote the whole thing in three days and blah, blah, blah. And and there's this one quote, which is not really about procrastination, but it's about how he gets super meta because he, in his TED talk, he talks about how six months ago, I got a call from TED that they wanted me to talk, do a TED talk. And so, but I didn't start preparing this TED talk until like last night because the whole thing is about procrastination. So in that whole thing, he's like, he he just says this one thing where he's like, I want to be a guy who has done a TED Talk. He doesn't want to do a TED Talk. He doesn't want to prepare a TED Talk. He doesn't want to stand on stage and talk and do all this stuff. But he wants to be a guy who has in the past done a TED Talk. And that's a very funny thing to say during a TED Talk. Because it's true. It's funny because it's true. So many things we do for... Surface level reasons, and we do TED Talks for surface level reasons because we want to be able to say, Hey, I did a TED Talk once. And to say during your TED Talk that you just want to be having done a TED Talk in the past is funny. And that's how I feel about the novel. Maybe a big part of me just wants to have a big illustrious, novelist career behind me. I don't want to sit down in Microsoft Word and spend 15 years of it, but I did. And it was painful and it was awful. And each moment when I felt inspired and felt like I had a beautiful idea that I was unpacking and unraveling and doing, it's, I'm quickly overcome with this heavy feeling inspiration has this backloaded heavy feeling where you you're inspired and you execute on the inspiration but then you quickly just feel like wow i was so inspired there and then there's this heavy feeling that lasts much longer than the actual feeling of inspiration and that's just how everything is that's life you know the heavy the bad part is just much bigger than the small part (laughs) i mean you know what i mean The good and the bad and the fucking small good. Wow. 30 minutes ago, I said something where I was like, this is going to be the episode title. And it's like, do I remember what I said? No. So how do I find it again? I don't know. But so the next time I showed up at work, there was an envelope for me with the name of the one of the gentlemen who bought the book. And I didn't even intend for them to buy the book. I was just trying to give them the book. And then there was an envelope with forty bucks. So I made So I spent that'd be a funny one, taking out a calculator for. I spent fifteen years I probably literally spent ten thousand hours on the novel and I made So far, I've probably made $25. So it'd be funny to divide 25 with 10,000 and see how much money I made so far per hour. So probably per hour so far, I've made something like 0.00001 cent. You know, that's cool. And I feel good. When I say it like that, I take everything away from myself and I feel bad. But I should feel good, but I feel good. Those $40, it's funny because, let's get really meta, in the novel there is this section of how <clears throat> the main character has this first moment making money on something that was his own idea and I'm really fascinated with how that feels and it's a question of looking down on those pink 100 quiet bills. Cause the story is set in China and the first money you, I made on my first idea was Chinese money. And, and you make those, that first money with your own idea and you look at that money and the color for the first time you see like, it's as if you see money in a new color. There's a new color. All the money you made in the past was black and white. It was like your mom gave you 50 bucks. Your grandma gave you 10 bucks. You like fucking had to intern for some shit and they had to give you legally, had to give you 40 bucks at the end of it. There's money coming at you. Your whole life. But then when you had your first good idea, first not good, scratch the word good, your first idea that's your own idea that makes you even the tiniest bit of money. The amount of money doesn't matter because the money now has a new color. And I, and those $40 had that sheen to it where it was like a new kind of money that I made making $40 on the novel and realizing that I actually only paid 15 bucks for the two books and they bought them for 40 so there's 25 bucks in profit thinking about those 25 bucks in profit looking down at these wrinkled dirty yellow 10 dollar bills four 10 dollar bills looking at those four 10 dollar bills they they have a new color it's a new yellow and just like how in the novel it's pink 100 quail bills with Chairman Mao on there and a description of his face and his If you look at Chinese money, it has his face and he has a mole on his chin. And in the novel, I say this hilarious thing where I refer to the mole as an anti-Japanese mole. And if you know, you know. (laughs) It's great writing, bro. The beautiful pink sheen and his anti-Japanese, the anti-Japanese mole on his chin. Because Chairman Mao is a handsome man if you look at the money and you made the money yourself on your own idea. He's so goddamn pink and handsome. I don't know, bro. I don't know what I'm doing, dude. Every moment I spend, I seem to be spending it wrong, but I don't know. Let's do the next water here. Yeah, let's do this one. Liquid death. Liquid Death is a brand that I have a very, very salty relationship with because I emailed them a bunch of times asking for free samples and they never even responded. It's like, bro, stop looking through this scam. Stop looking through and under- looking through me and understanding that I have only 90 listeners and that you don't have to respect me and that you're a big company and that I cannot move the needle for you. Stop. Stop. I want you to buy into this thing I'm doing. Where me and my me and my dozen friends, the sparkling water community, I hate liquid death because they know the truth. they know that I don't have a lot of power when it comes to driving sparkling water sales. They never even responded, and then when I reviewed spark uh, liquid death. I just had to go to the store and pay, for, pay three bucks for a can and, and review it on my own dime. And then now they've come out with three flavored ones. And my girlfriend bought them for me. Liquid death. Bury it alive. They are attempting to do puns here. This is the copy on the side, the ruthless, this ruthless tall boy of flavored sparkling water is armed with agave nectar and natural electrolytes to refresh your body and murder your thirst. Murder your thirst, I'm pretty sure is the sort of slogan for liquid death. Smells. Yeah. So it's never good when something is mixed berry. Mixed berry is always like, well, what berry is it? Because then it's just chemicals. But that's very refreshing because they didn't overdo it. They only did a little tinsel, a little sprinkle, sprinkle, a little hundreds and thousands of, of berry flavor. faky, chill, let's not overthink it, unpretentious, working class berry flavor. Which berry is it? I don't know. I'm a blue collar worker. I don't worry about it. 20 calories per tall boy. A little bit of agave nectar. That does sound nice, doesn't it? Ingredients. The first ingredient is carbonated mountain water. Second ingredient, agave nectar. That does sound nice, doesn't it? That's an 8 out of 10. Nah, that's too nice. It's a 7.5. That is some fakie, fakie... Yeah. Passion fruit. They always do passion fruit in these fakie things because passion fruit is like bitter and so generic. Pa- you can put passion fruit in anything. You can put passion fruit in anything and it'll it'll make it taste more like itself but also bitter and fake. And that's how we put together a 7.5 out of 10 can of sparkling water. Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about I'm in this relationship and I'm thinking I'm really working on it this week. And I actually told my girlfriend I wasn't going to talk to her for a week because I need to just work on myself because I have so many flaws. And it's a it's a thing where I take a break from the relationship, not in a way. Usually taking a break is just a preamble to breaking up. And it never feels like that. We're never honest with ourselves about that, but it always is. And I honestly, I almost have this interpretation where anyone who enters a rocky period of their relationship, it always ends after that. Like no one ever has a rocky period where you like break up and get back together and break up and get back together and then like figure it out. Like no one ever figures it out. So like if you're entering a rocky period, just give up. It's is not going to work. And that's something I've seen in so many things and something I believe to be so true that like yesterday, actually at work, <clears throat> we were, I was in the kitchen. I was talking to my line cooks and chef Eric, and, and we were saying hilarious things about relationships and ex-wives and crazy things. And, and, um, someone was saying something like, if I was going to cheat on my wife, blah, blah, blah. And then, um. And then Chef Eric said something like he is such a good guy and I'm not going to try to remember what he said because it was crazy and like you wouldn't want me to say it here. But but it was funny and it wasn't – he was saying something about it he wouldn't cheat on his wife. but um, But he said – the point is that what he said was something about like they have had a rocky relationship and now – and then they figured it out and now they've had years of peaceful, successful marriage. And that fascinates the fuck out of me. He was like, we already did all that shit. We already did World War One and World War Two, And we already did all that Rocky shit. So we don't do any of that anymore. Like we already worked through all that crazy shit where there's cheating and there's crazy and there's fighting and you break up and you get back. We already did that and we figured it out. So now we're just good. And we don't do any of that anymore. And it's just like, and it's so like that really, I found that very interesting because I, Never hear or see. I never hear about that. No one ever, like Javi right now, you know, Javi finds himself in this on-again, off-again relationship with this girl. And and when I see that, I just assume that it's going to end then. Because if you're ever in that, then that always ends. But I don't have any answers and I don't know anything. Yeah. So what I was going to say is, I I'm in this relationship with this girl, and uh, what I've noticed it in myself, the pattern I've noticed in myself is that I'm my avoidant personality disorder thing kicks in, and I become avoidant in real, uh, in relationships, and when I have problems, I don't say anything about it. When I when there's something about my partner that annoys me or that isn't perfect, something that we could work on and should work on, something that I think is not good, I don't say anything about it. I just get more and more annoyed, and then I just break up with her. And it's so ridiculous to assume and to think that everything would just be perfect without communicating with it communicating about it, especially, I think this is relevant to this, especially in light of me being from far away. I think that there's something where like, if you think about the 1800s and you think about you're a little guy in a village and everyone's in the same village and you marry not your cousin, but you marry, everyone knows everyone and you you grow up and you marry some girl that. You've known of your whole life because you all went to the same little school building together and then you marry her. It's like, it's almost like in that sphere, in that situation, you're all in the exact of the same culture and you all know of the same relationships. So you have all the same, the same pool of expectations and data and like information about relationships. So there's so much thing, there's so much stuff that can just be implied because you're just so similar because your data set is so similar and your culture is so similar and what your culture has taught you is so similar that maybe things can be kind of implied. But then when I get to, <clears throat> then I move to like China and marry an American woman and blah, 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 and end up in America. And, and it's like, I'm just from far away. And my cult, like my data set, is just so different that it's ridiculous for me. To, like, cause with practical things like, one of the things that I never talk about that always annoys me with American women is like, like I think that there's a gendered thing in Sweden and there's a gender difference between how genders are perceived and performed in Sweden versus where I'm at now. And one of the things is like, in Sweden, everyone makes less money, but everyone works. And in America, everyone makes more money, but you end up in the situation where only the men work, even people of my age. And then when you go on dates with women, it's like during the dating phase, everyone has to work because these women are single and they're working, but the dating is still, there's still some weird thing where men are supposed to like pay for things more. And for me to always just be annoyed with that and never say anything about it and then just break up with women because of it is fucking ridiculous. Because, how do I expect women to have the exact same culture as me without communicating about it? It's ridiculous. Oh, God. And there's money, there's multiple things where it's like, it's small things and it's things that could be worked on. And it's like, I date these good women, these like good people. These women are like good people who like work on themselves and they're much more mature than me and they're much better at communicating and they're just so much better than me. And then I just have these small grievances. That I focus on, and I just don't communicate about my grievances. And if I did, they would be so receptive, probably, and just think about it, and they would be grown ups, and they would just grow together with me, and we could communicate and work things out. And instead, I just like want everything to be perfect off of the bat, and I just want them to like have a perfect understanding of some like weird, lonely Swede who wandered, who, like, you know, I'm ridiculous, bro. I'm ridiculous so what I'm saying to what I said to my girlfriend is I have to just sit with this for for a week and I have to just learn how to communicate about the small problems I have because if I communicated with them about them you would probably be so open to just working on it and talking about it and being but I just don't know how to communicate about any of it. And I just have to be alone because I all, because my avoidant thing makes it feels, makes me feel like any problem, I just want to run away. And I just tell myself that, Oh, if I was just alone, it would just be so much easier and I wouldn't have to worry about this, but that's just a personality disorder. That's not good. And that's not Real. The solution is not to be alone because the worst possible outcome is being alone. I have seen the worst possible outcome in my father and in my uncle and in most men that I grew up with and that are blood related to me and that have the same DNA makeup and the same culture. And it's the, it's, it is something I perceive to be the worst possible outcome. And I have seen the light and I've seen what it means to not be alone. Because this one time I served two city planners, and they have wives, and their wives are in book clubs, but they are not in book clubs, but they read, but they have friends. And they read, but they're not in book clubs, they read alone, and they have friends and they have money, and they go on trips with their friends. And they quip and they have hilarious jokes between the two of them. And they're salty and they're self-deprecating and they're smart and they reference complicated stuff and they talk about books and they don't make it too complicated and they don't shut anyone out. And it's all beautiful and it's all funny. And it's all just like a retired old man Gilmore Girls thing. And the video of this podcast episode has now turned out turned off because I'm at an hour and a half and I only had a, a gig, a nine and a half gig of free space on my phone so that the video maxed out. I've seen the light and I have seen what it means to be good at, at the later, like what it means to be good at life and to live a good life and what it means to... Be good at life is to not be alone and to figure this stuff out and to just relax and talk about it. It's probably like sobriety. Where when I get obsessed with how I should, I used to get obsessed with how I should just drink and do drugs and just not feel my feelings. And I would just get more tightly coiled and wound and stressed out more and more and more. And what I realized is that you have to just fucking be there with it. You have to just be there with it and realize what you're doing. I just realized that this fucking obsession of just drinking right now. If I just fucking wait a little bit, it'll go away. It'll go away. And um maybe in a relationship if I'm just if I just wait a little bit. If I don't know how to say it. And I'm panicking. Maybe if I just relax and say it. Hmm. Ain't nothing I'm worse at than that. That is the thing I'm worst at. Just saying it. Hmm. Just being like, I don't know. It's like that thing I was talking about an hour and a half ago of like, sometimes in the heat of the moment, you don't know if you're in one of those situations where, am I going to regret saying something if I do? Or am I going to regret not saying something if I don't? And with relationships, it's the same like, Maybe sometimes if you complain about the other person, maybe the complaint it's about something that's at the heart of who they are and they cannot change it anyway. And if you say something about it, you'll just feel fucking bad anyway because you just like really hurt their feelings and they couldn't change it anyway and it was a deal breaker for you and maybe you should just break up with them. How do we know the difference? Uh, Or should we just... And go. Should we just do the third option of not complaining and not saying anything and just not caring about it and just stay together? And just instead of trying to swim upriver against time, instead of trying to go back in time, you know? Jesus. All right, let's do the third water here. Aha brand from the Coca-Cola company. Is that right? Yes. Canned under the authority of the Coca-Cola company comma, Atlanta, Georgia, and then let's throw in a zip code, 30313. Why is there a zip code on there? By a member of the Coca-Cola Bottlers Association, Atlanta, Georgia, and then there's a different zip code, 30327. It's like, okay, let's put some zip codes on the can. So the flavor we're dealing with here is blackberry lemon, second blackberry, Yeah, and that's a 9 out of 10 because big corporations know how to do products. They know how to focus group. They know how to do it. Certain things, maybe they don't know how to make the best movies. Maybe they don't know how to make the best high-level art that needs an artisanal fucking vision a Kanye West style, everyone's going to hate me, but I'll come out with this thing that you'll remember forever that will be deeply sublime, blah, blah, blah. Maybe corporations don't know how to do that. But when it comes to something that's just a product that you take one sip of and you're like, yep, that's the best one. Sometimes you have to just trust the Coca-Cola company. Atlanta, Georgia, 31327, end of zip code. Scan here for more food information or call. Blah, blah, blah. There's a phone number. It really. God. God, that's refreshing. That's a 9 out of 10. Ah. Beautiful colors on this can, too. So strange. Yellow and purple. Oh, God. So yeah. I don't know. How do we communicate with our girlfriends? How do we air our grievances? <sighs> Sorry, I had a little capitalist burp there. A little focus group burp. Oh man. Well, say goodbye to the studio, everyone. Say goodbye to this audio quality. Next episode we'll have a different sort of flavor. The audio will have a different flavor. Thank you for listening, everyone. Radio History was made today. Great episode, 95 minutes, and we're good, and we're out. I love you guys. Thank you.